Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are continuing our Mission Impossible series with Mission Impossible 3. IMF agent Ethan Hunt comes into conflict with a dangerous and sadistic arms dealer who threatens his life and his fiance in response. Alright. This movie's good. This this movie is super fun. This is this is the one that we always talk about, like, oh, that movie's so no. I do wonder if our enjoyment of this is a little tainted by the fact that we do love J.J. Abrams. Yeah, we don't love J.J. Abrams because for reasons, but <laughs> this is his, this is his sweet spot. This is what he's good at. And so he did a good. And also this after two, oh, the, like this is when all of the elements of Mission Impossible are working really well. They solidified this as a franchise-style movie mm-hmm. from this point forward because mm-hmm. it is both different in tone from the original film while having everything you need to keep these characters interesting and motivated. Sure. And it's funny because this movie went through development fucking hell. You know, I don't feel it when I watch the movie, which I is a know. miracle. That's a miracle. They, it is a miracle looking through all of this and we're going to get into all of it the fact that they pulled off this movie as well as they did is not only an awesome story but it is also a testament to how good a filmmaker jj abrams is yeah it's just this one is so fun and just all the elements are working really well the new cast is working really well so it's just fun it's just fun they they really knocked it out of the park and we have nothing but good things to say about it yep All right, well, the budget for this movie was $150 million. That makes it possibly the most expensive film for a first-time feature film director. This is J.J. Abrams' first feature film. Mm -hmm. However, how were they willing to give him this much money? I guarantee you it's off the back of The Lost Pilot. Yeah, because The Lost Pilot, well, yeah, The Lost Pilot wasn't too long. Wasn't too much before this. Now, I will tell you that's not what got him in the door. Mm-hmm. Cruz saw some episodes of Alias, and that's what eventually got him hired. Mm-hmm. But we have to get through a whole saga of writers and directors before mm-hmm. we get to that point. Which also, J.J. Abrams did Alias, but his first show was Felicity. People always forget that that's the show that actually brought us Jennifer Gardner. Brought us Jennifer Gardner and... <laughs> and... His two lucky charms that show up in this movie, Greg Grunberg and Carrie Russell. Yes. Love them both. They're adorable. They show up in pretty in every property that he makes. U.S. gross was $135 million. Mm-hmm. Did not quite make its money back, but globally it made about $399 million, So it did well enough to keep going. That is interesting to me that not that many people went to go see this movie. Probably because the second one was so bad. No, probably because this was at the height of the Tom Cruise fuckery. Agreed. And I will say this. While Michelle Moynihan is a great actress, Uh her casting was inappropriate (laughs) because his fuckery and his annoyance with his, I I don't think they were married yet, but with his relationship with Katie Holmes was such a distraction to everything else that was going on. His purposeful casting of someone who looks almost identical to her was inappropriate. Okay, here's why I don't exactly give that purchase. All of his stuff with Katie Holmes Mm -hmm. and the fallout from that 
happened after this movie got rolling. And I think she was already cast. He was already dating her. I don't know. I it was it was already it, it was already happening. And here's the thing. Once they started dating, it was already an issue because it was weird because it didn't take long before the second people found out they were dating. That whole thing went off the rails fast. It's not like they were dating for a year in secret. I just don't know if casting Michelle Monaghan was that intentional a thing from Cruz's part, because I think there were a bunch of other strong voices in the room who also agreed to casting her. Here's the thing. Halfway through production, her role was so small that they could have recast her and reshot all of her shit. There's no way they couldn't have redone all of her shit and it would have been just fine. Hmm. Because it is a huge distraction to this movie. I don't think so. Like, I don't have a problem with it, but it is a factor. It, it did not. It, it just is. It and bothers that sucks me. for her. It bothers me in the first part of the movie. It does. Because the first part of the movie, they're playing that up so much. Though they're alternating that with Ethan being the most charming person in the room, which is just funny. Yeah. But the end of the movie, I feel like Michelle Monaghan is doing her actual Michelle Monaghan thing, which I actually enjoy. Because she feels like a real person who's like, I just fell in love with a guy who I thought works for the Virginia Department of Transportation. What the fuck am I doing in Shanghai about to get drugged and killed? Yep. It did not bother me. It's a, it's a factor. Well, this movie was originally supposed to come out in summer 2002. Okay. The studio was like, let's slate it up. Let's get another one. And Cruz and Wagner and everybody said, you know what? Let's not kill everybody with the franchise mm-hmm. let's not overdo it and also Cruz had some other projects he wanted to go work on Fair. after mi2 so then they moved it to summer 2005 and that is when development hell started and we will get into that with the writing and directing because it gives us a bunch of who could have been betters Ooh. hint nobody but there's mm. a lot of names on the list okay This was the fourth widest movie opening in history. It opened to 4,054 screens, which to not return its money back in the U.S. is hard. That's rough. Mm -hmm. But again, I remember seeing this movie and loving it. Yeah, we saw this one in the theater. I don't know if people thought it was too derivative or just, you know, we're done with Tom Cruise for the moment and just didn't want to go see the movie. Because this is backing right off of War of the Worlds as well. Yep. But this was an awesome fucking movie. This is also Paramount's first digital distribution of a film. Mm. They were the last studio to do so. And this was the last Cruise Wagner film distributed through Paramount. Hmm. Paramount owner Sumner Redstone declined to renew distribution rights because he was particularly disgusted by Tom Cruise's antics, including his appearance on Oprah. Yep. He was like, Fuck you, we're done. Mm -hmm. So Cruz and Wagner instead resurrected United Artists, Mm -hmm. which had been gone for a few years, and they bought that up. Oh, okay. And started running stuff through UA. And then comes a few promotional controversies, starting with the South Park controversy. Oh, yeah. Allegedly, Tom Cruise threatened to cease all publicity for the film if Comedy Central tried to rebroadcast the Scientology episode of South Park, Trapped in the Closet, which came out in 2005. Mm -hmm. This has not ever been confirmed, but Viacom owned Comedy Central and Paramount, and the episode was pulled from air. Mm -hmm. Trey and Matt 
said that Comedy Central called them and stated, we're pulling the episode. You cannot say anything about this publicly. (laughs) Just the surest fire way to get those two to say a bunch of shit. And on the other hand, fuck them. They're horrible. They've turned into the absolute worst versions of themselves. The the problem is they they started out great. Oh, of course. And they also gave us Book of Mormon, which is also great. Like, thank you. The problem is that they haven't grown. Oh, no. They They feel like, oh, I've achieved this level. I've opened these doors. I'm done. I don't have to adjust anymore. I don't have to grow. And... What made me famous, I can continue to do. And it's like, no, that was fine 20 years ago. You need to evolve. Well, and they've also been adamant and forthright in saying, this is our artistic expression and we deserve to get to be this offensive. And I was like, no, not with everything, guys. Some of the shit you did is pretty awful now. Some of the shit you did was pretty awful. And, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, when you know better, you do better. And so, like, I'm fine with artists who are like, I don't want to pull my old shit because at the time it was true and all, like that's like I totally can stand by that so long as now they can say now I would never do that yeah and I the only reason I allow that to stand is to show my own personal growth I, I can get behind that stance but no but yeah they've just no, decided just... to they've just decided they are going to lean into their horribleness yeah no <sighs> so yeah. I don't feel bad for anybody in that no. situation no But that's not nearly as bad as the fake bomb controversy. Oh, God. Paramount thought they had an ingenious marketing plan and rigged 4,500 LA Times vending boxes with digital audio players that would play the theme song whenever the door was opened, which is not the worst idea in the world. Okay, the theme? Funny. You just, you open the door and a little speaker goes, I mean, come on, that would be fun. That could that could be fun. Yeah, they they weren't able to keep those speakers concealed, so they would often come loose and fall on the stack of papers, which led many many people to think they were bombs. Yeah, bomb squads across LA detonated multiple vending boxes. They wound up having to shut down a VA hospital at one point mm-hmm. because they thought there was an active bomb threat. And despite all of this, Paramount and the LA Times thought, "Let's just keep them in until two days before the premiere." Oh, God. They just kept it going. Oh, God. (laughs) Nope, 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 nope. This is 2006. Come on. People are skittish. (sighs) No. It is amazing that this movie is as good as it is. That's true. All right, we get to our writing. And of course, we're going to mention Bruce Geller, creator of the original series. Mm -hmm. Then we have Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orchi. Before this, they were writers on Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, Alias, The Island, and The Legend of Zorro. After this, they wrote Transformers, Star Trek in 2009, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, Cowboys and Aliens, Lock and Key, People Like Us. They're the co-creators of the series Fringe. They wrote Star Trek Into Darkness, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Sleepy Hollow, and co-created the new Hawaii Five-O on TV. Kurtzman also created Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. All right. And coming, they will be writing Bride of Frankenstein. Interesting. Coming in 2021. All right. Then we have J.J. Abrams. Before this, he wrote Taking Care of Business regarding Henry, Forever Young, Gone Fishing, Armageddon, which I had no idea. I forget about that one. (laughs) Is, Is he the only writer on that one? Yes. He is the credited writer for a Michael Bay film. 
That tracks. Uh-huh. Felicity for TV, Joyride, Alias for TV, and then created Lost. After this, Super 8, he co-creates Fringe, Undercovers, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. He has a TV series coming called Demimond and an untitled Cloverfield sequel. Oh, cool. What do we think of the writing of this movie? At this point in the franchise, it's the best. (laughs) It has the best dialogue for sure. They took what was done with that first script, Mm -hmm. which was a lot darker and moodier, Mm -hmm. and then infused it with the charisma that they knew that Tom Cruise had. Yeah. And so you have all of that intensity, Mm -hmm. sometimes ratcheted up to 11, especially with Owen Davian's character. The Owen Davian character is perfectly written. And then you match that with just the fun bits from Tom Cruise, Mm -hmm. from Ethan, and the jokes, which are just so much better for this movie. The the jokes are are better, sure. The thing is, each actor gets to shine at what they're good at. Yep. Tom Cruise gets to be charismatic, hunky dude, which uh-huh. he's, he's amazing at. What do you do with the DOT? I study traffic patterns. You hit the brakes for a second, just tap them on the freeway. You can literally track the ripple effect of that action across a 200-mile stretch of road. Because traffic has a memory. It's amazing. It's like a living organism. Freshen that up for me. Was it Baca Martini? Yeah. Ladies, did you? I'd marry him. I would too. That's one of his top five skills. And then he gets to make running face a lot. He makes a lot. (laughs) Okay. This is the game you play when you watch one of these films. Tom Cruise running face. Tom Cruise running face. So I'm going to give credit. JJ employs Tom Cruise running face with an intense purpose every time he runs it's not just for him to run it's for him to get somewhere where he needs to be quickly yes but so so tom cruise gets to do that he gets to be intense he gets to kick ass but then philip seymour hoffman gets to be this cruel vicious guy (laughs) in the best way because when philip seymour hoffman just sits there he looks very um non-threatening but then he opens his mouth. Oh, my God. And he's amazing. You have a, a wife, girlfriend. It's up to you how this goes. Because you know what I'm going to do next? I'm going to find her. Whoever she is, I'm going to find her and I'm going to hurt her. You were apprehended carrying details of the location of something codenamed the rabbit's foot. I'm going to make her bleed and cry and call out your name. And you're not going to be able to do shit. You know why? What is a rabbit's foot? Because you're going to be this close to dead. And who is the buyer? And then I'm going to kill you right in front of her. Then we get a very tiny dose of Simon Pegg. Uh-huh. Which is just... Cherry on the Sunday. Uh-huh. I love that man. He's he's enjoyable and he is just my favorite addition to the series because he is Luther, but he is Luther in a completely different flavor. It's great. JJ knows exactly what his cast does well and wrote for them. Yes. I think he definitely came in and took the script and then elevated it Absolutely. with who he had. Same thing with Billy Crudup. He's great. Yeah. I mean, Billy Crudup is usually either playing charismatic or evil jackass. He's doing both really great. Yeah. 
love it. I mean, just the whole, like, they're all so good. Even Michelle Monaghan, who I know we have our issues with. I think she does a great job. She does, a, she's, she does a great job. The problem I have with her has nothing to do with her. Yeah. It has to do with the Tom Cruise circus. <laughs> but they've given her a lot of agency and a lot of just character to sure. actually have in the movie. Because sure. she could have just easily been a pawn. Even Aaron Paul, who's in this movie for like <laughs> two seconds. This was right before Jesse Pinkman. It's just like, uh, you're going to go on a journey soon. That's very J.J. Abrams it's, writing. I lo- it's, it is like we j- they would just say things. And we're like, hi, J.J., what's up? <laughs> he has a style. I mean, <sighs> enjoy it. It's, it's very good stuff. The original script had Brownway, the assistant character for Davian, doing the counting instead of Owen Davian. J.J. knew it would be way more impactful if he had Hoffman doing that in that opening scene. Good choice, J.J. I love that we start the movie with a, quote unquote, flash forward. <laughs> the this cold is, open is fucking amazing fold, to this the, movie. The flash, like, that was a great setup because you're just like, what? How did we get here? Because one, who the fuck is that chick? Because we don't know. Nope. Because then we answer that question. That's his wife? Yeah. What? Uh-huh. Ethan has a wife? Because in the last movie, he was with Tandy. What happened? And he's a spy. How can he have a wife? He can't have a wife. Those against the rules. Technically, at that point, girlfriend. Fiance. 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 Whatever. Anyway, still. <laughs> it just starts off so intense. Ethan is pleading and begging and wants to kill this guy and can't. But he's also doing the Ethan thing of being like, you're not going to do it. Whatever. It's let me, let me, let me do the Ethan thing where I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to negotiate around you, which we saw him do with Max in the first one. That's some of the best acting from Tom Cruise that you get to see from Tom Cruise, where he is putting on that charm in his voice, but you can tell in his eyes and in, in how he's speaking haltingly that he is terrified about what could happen. It's, so good it's very good who could have been better we'll get into it as we talk about the directing so we start with our actual director and that is jj abrams he started by directing a few episodes of felicity and alias and then obviously the lost pilot which is now legendary which is one of the best pilots it's two hours but it's a it's a mini movie and it's amazing and look what however you feel about lost you go on a journey and I, that was an experience and I loved it. I need to watch the pilot again just to see it. But I feel like at the time being like, I could not watch another episode of this show and be perfectly satisfied with what I just watched. Like the whole rest of the show was cool, but it felt like it was a full story leading into something bigger mm-hmm. that I was just like, I'm in for whatever else is here. But this was amazing on its own. After this, he directs Star Trek in 2009, Super 8, Star Trek Into Darkness, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. It's interesting. He does not have a whole lot of directing credits. He has really leaned hard into producing. He produces a lot of talent, and then he works very closely with uh, writers. Yeah. And producing, like, like, he produces a lot of what Damon Lindelof writes, of course. And clearly a lot of what these two guys write, Kurtzman and Orchie. Yeah, Absolutely. He's also, a lot of people start, like, you're the franchise guy. You help start something, like, you direct the pilot, you direct the first in a thing to get it going, and then you walk away and you just produce it, and you let somebody else continue it. Like, I almost want to call him Spielberg, but he's he's almost like a Spielberg-Lucas hybrid. 
Exactly. Where he he has made the movies that he's excited to make and do the setup. But then like Lucas, he's like, okay, I'm going to fuck off and let cool people do it. And I'm just going to stay in here, offer my ideas where I can be helpful. Yeah, but like he's more talented than both of those guys, I would say. He can write better than Lucas. He definitely can write better than Lucas. He can direct better than Lucas. Lucas had one idea. He and Spielberg are very comparable because, and, and it's a natural thing because he's clearly influenced by Spielberg. Sure. Like all of his stuff is he, so Spielberg. It, his stuff is very taken after Spielberg. That's yeah. very true. He's definitely a contemporary of that, but I would say you're better than Spielberg because Spielberg has gotten stale. Well, Spielberg just wants to make war movies and spy movies and things about his own life experience now. And that's fine, <laughs> but it is boring. His movies have gotten boring. So before we get into this saga, <laughs> there's the saga. What do we think about the directing of this movie? I mean, it's it's very closely tied to the writing. This is one of those situations where the writer director situation is great. It works really well. Um, also being a, I mean, it's funny that this is his directorial debut. Theatrical directorial debut is kind of hilarious <laughs> because in our, you know, we saw that with Shane Black that wasn't great. It wasn't the best thing it, we'd ever seen. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great and here it's just like well this is amazing and some of that is just your script was that much better and i know you had the best people around you to help support you and because you wrote your script so well your cast was also there to support you and it's like it's just like i don't want to say lightning in a bottle but every element was was firing on all cylinders it is fascinating that he had the budget he did to work with yeah however Notwithstanding the development saga that comes into this, sure. which really informs, I think, part of why this wound up successful, uh -huh. that lost pilot is crucial because they committed so much money to that pilot. Yep. ABC did. Yep. And he marshaled those resources. Yep. And I guarantee you, it might not, a, it, it's something I don't know that Cruz knew about to get him in the door, mm -hmm. but it's definitely something Paramount knew. Mm -hmm. And those studio execs saw, it was like, when you give him actual resources to work with, you don't just give him a normal TV budget. He knows how to use it. Yeah. So we're fine committing this money to this guy. And like, that's the other thing I don't realize about him is like, he's got script credits going back into the late 80s. Like he's been around Hollywood and working in Hollywood. So it's not like he was an unknown quantity. Oh, sure. But the fact that he had shown, he, he basically had given this proof to everyone of like, you give me a movie budget and a blockbuster movie budget, I'll make it happen. And lo and behold, he did. <laughs> it just helps that he had a lot of great resources to work with. Yeah. Now let's get into who could have been better and the development hell of this story. We're going to start very early on in the process with Ong Lee. Nope. <laughs> so there's this working screenwriter. He doesn't even really have IMDb credits, but his name is Ben Treblecook. And he actually worked on some early drafts and started preliminary talks to get Lee to direct this film. Obviously, I think Ong Lee was like, this is not my kind of movie. Because the good movies that he makes, definitely not this. <laughs> One draft of Treble Cook scripts had the destruction of Wonders of the World involved. Okay. That movie was a prequel and would have brought back Emilio Estevez's character. Oh, man, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Aw, I'm kind of sad about that now. How do you do a prequel with Tom Cruise? What do you mean? I guess he is ageless. You just give him the, the a weird buzz cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Then, David Fincher. 
No. So he was originally slated to direct this movie. Then he dropped it to produce Lords of Dogtown, mm. which he was also supposed to direct. And he dropped that. And it's not listed, but I guarantee you the biggest reason he dropped out of this was to go work on Zodiac. Because that comes out in 2006. Oh, I need to watch and that movie again. Zodiac is a perfect film. That is a movie that is three hours long, and I'm not mad about it. It is maybe David Fincher's masterpiece. And it is one of Robert Downey Jr.'s best films. It's so good. It's one of the movies that got him out of movie jail. Appropriately for Fincher, his film would have dealt with body parts and organs being trafficked in Africa. Gross. Frank Darabont rewrote one of Treble Cook's draft using this script premise. Okay. Which, like, on the one hand, dark premise. On the other hand, two awesome fucking people to do that premise. Yeah, no, no, no. And do it justice. I I could see that crew doing well. And Sylvester Stallone was courted to play the villain in that script. Okay, that's badass. <laughs> I love... Please make that happen in a future one. Make Stallone a bad guy! Can he be the bad guy in space, please? Well, no. Make him make him the bad guy, but make him very similar to Rambo. Same kind of motivations, but turned evil instead of trying to fight for good. Yeah, but then he's like Kurtz. Oh, but he'd be such a better so Kurtz! better Kurt. Right? Bye. Yes. That would be awesome. Okay, so Fincher obviously didn't do it. No. Then a name that got floated was Phil Alden Robinson. This is the guy who directed Field of Dreams, Sneakers, and The Sum of All Fears. I love sneakers. So that didn't happen. Nope. So then we get the person who was actually supposed to direct this movie, Joe Carnahan. Joe Carnahan directed Narc, Smoke and Aces, and 2010's The A-Team. Okay, that A-Team is dumb. But entertaining. Joe Carnahan is known for being kind of a David Ayer style of filmmaker. Very gritty, bloody action style. That's not right for this movie. No. So Carnahan worked on the film for 15 months in development. And then quit over creative differences with the studio bosses. A month before actual filming was supposed to start. Yeah. He actually filmed the moment he quit. Because he thought it was going to be the end of his movie career. Oh, wow. So he was like, I might as well. That's funny. Um, that did not turn out to be the case. He has still done some work on films. But something interesting came out of this. He talked about this in a big Twitter thread in 2015 when director Josh Trank and the producers had public battles about the Fantastic Four remake. Mm. And Carnahan talked about the fact that all of his success leading up to this movie was from his film Narc which was an independent release. It had some big actors. It got a lot of buzz, but it was an indie movie. Mm -hmm. When he jumped into this studio environment, it was a clash immediately Mm -hmm. because he had a very specific way he wanted to do stuff. And the studio execs, I mean, you're dealing with Cruz Wagner and Paramount. They want to come in and tell you how you're supposed to do your job. And it's like, that's not how it works. It's not how he does stuff. And he fortunately got lucky enough to bow out. Yeah. Trank didn't. Yeah. And Trank had gotten his success off of Chronicle in 2012. Mm. And so that movie, you know, Trank basically had put out a turd with his name on it Mm. because it was just a battle back and forth. So it was really interesting that he felt compelled to be like, this happened to me. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, that sucks. So 2004, they start putting together this movie Mm -hmm. and he drops out Mm -hmm. August 2004. That's when JJ gets hired. But then they have to delay the film for nearly a year 
because Cruz, who was committed to War of the Worlds, had to go jump on that movie because it suddenly got greenlit. It was supposed to go later, later in 2006, and all of a sudden they pushed that movie up. So now they're in a holding pattern for a year, or for at least like six months. They did not start filming until summer 2005. So like, it goes, it takes so long to finally get JJ on board. This is absurd. I will say though, that makes me understand some of the grittier, more violent stuff in this movie that I don't see JJ doing in a lot of his stuff. No, I mean, it's in there. It's I'm in fine. there in Alias for sure. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I, I think more of what it is is that that's part of that table setting for him. Mm-hmm. That he had somebody who had a vision, who worked on it long enough, that he was able to come in, look at it, and go, okay, do a little shuffling. Here we go. Yeah. We definitely have something good here. Let's fix it up and make it nice. Yeah. JJ based Ethan's house on his own family home. Mm-hmm. It is exactly the same layout. And his attention to detail is so great. When Gormley, Jonathan Reese Meyers' character, tells Jen he's going to rendezvous with her in 30 seconds, he gets to the gate and lets her in in exactly 30 seconds. I love that stuff. That is the precision that J.J. brings to storytelling. I love that stuff. That's what he does so well. Mm-hmm. Now we get to our cast. And we start with Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. How do you feel about Tom Cruise in this movie? Yeah, he's very good in this movie. It's nice to get to see him play to his strengths. It is. Like, you get to be cute and enjoyable, and then you get to kick some ass, and that's fun. It's like a grown-up version of Maverick from Top Gun. Mm, I don't know about that. I mean, he's definitely a grown-up in this movie. It's not like he's wholly irresponsible. He just also has to save the world. He wasn't really injured doing his own stunts, but he did crack some ribs when he turned his upper body a little too quickly. That's fair. <laughs> not a tom cruise movie unless he breaks something that's just funny that it was like the stunts didn't do it age did it age did it when filming the injection scene tom kept complaining because eddie marsan who was playing the character kept hurting him like he kept going it hurts you're shoving it too hard so finally what they did they painted cruise's hand to look like eddie marsan's hand Mm -hmm. because he knew exactly how much pressure he could put on without hurting himself but making it look intense So that is Tom Cruise doing the gun on himself in that scene. Mm. Also, when he bites Billy Crudup's character's hand, that is not Crudup's hand. That is Tom Cruise's hand that he is biting. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) To attend all of the premieres in New York City, there were three. Cruise was driven to each location on the top of a fire engine by helicopter, motorcycle, car, and via subway with an entire subway car to himself. The car was rented from the MTA for $12,000. They had to get him back and forth in New York City quickly. Oh my god. (laughs) And fun fact, Tom Cruise adopts a disguise as a priest, which is funny because at one point he studied to become a priest before he decided to go into acting. Okay, yeah. All right, next we get into Philip Seymour Hoffman as Owen Davian. Y'all, this is the first time we have talked about Philip Seymour Hoffman on this show. That feels wrong. I know. I love this man so much. Before this, he was in Leap of Faith, Scent of a Woman, My Boyfriend's Back, Money for Nothing, The Getaway, When a Man Loves a Woman, Nobody's Fool, Hard Eight, Twister, Boogie Nights, The Big Lebowski, Happiness, Patch Adams, Magnolia, The Talented Mr. Ripley, State and Maine, Almost Famous, 
Punch Drunk Love, Red Dragon, 25th Hour, Cold Mountain, Along Came Polly, Strangers with Candy, and Capote. That's right, his Oscar-winning performance came right before this. I remembered that. Yeah. And was like, oh yeah, that's part of why I was so stoked. Because he had won for Capote, and then he's the bad guy in this movie. And I'm like, yay. After this, he's in The Savages, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Charlie Wilson's War, Synecdoche, New York, Doubt, Pirate Radio, Moneyball, The Master of the Hunger Games, Catching Fire, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1, and The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. What do we think of Philip Seymour Hoffman in this film? I miss him. I miss him dearly. He was so great. I mean, he's amazing. I don't like, I just, he's, he makes this movie. He really does. He is, he is the secret sauce. To the whole thing. I mean, there there are a couple actors you could swap out who could do what he did just as well. I mean, there are. There are a couple. But he's so fun. And it was so unexpected when it happened. And I know it's well written, but he, he he's just got this flavor to it that I just really enjoyed next to Tom Cruise. It's, it's his voice. Uh-huh. It's his cadence. Mm-hmm. He's mumbly. But not in an unintelligible way. No. Just in a dispassionate, I'm a sociopath kind of way. Yep. That is just so perfect. And it really is that you're right. A lot of actors could do the same thing, but they would not put the kind of spin on it that he did. And I think they just knew it was like, this guy can chew scenery so well without lifting a finger. Mm -hmm. So let's just let him do it. Yep. Who could have been better? Originally in the role... Before development hell forced him to drop because he had to go do As You Like It, Kenneth Branagh. Interesting. Okay. It would have been a far more mustache twirling role. That wouldn't have been bad. I don't hate Kenneth Branagh, but like, it would have been the polar opposite, right? I don't know. It, it you know, it could, but it could have been Andy Serkis in Black Panther, or it could have been very like Russell Crowe in The Insider, where he decides to downplay it. Because Kenneth Branagh's an amazing actor. Totally. It just depends on how they decide to go with it. I mean, Kenneth Branagh is typically a buttoned up British dude. I mean, his Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Yeah, that guy is amazing. He really is fabulous. But he could be a brawler if he needed to be. He's got it in there. Still. I'm not going to trade anybody for no. I'm not for PSH. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trading. Never. Moving on, we have Billy Crudup as Musgrave. Before this, he was in Sleepers. Everyone says I love you. Princess Mononoke, the English dub, Without Limits, Waking the Dead, Almost Famous, Charlotte Gray, Big Fish, and Stage Beauty. After this, The Good Shepherd, Watchmen from 2007, Public Enemies, Eat, Pray, Love, Blood Ties, The Stanford Prison Experiment, Spotlight, Jackie, 20th Century Women, Alien Covenant, Justice League, Where'd You Go, Bernadette. And The Morning Show on television. What do we think of Billy Crudup in this movie? He's great. It's a a great heel turn. He is one of those, like, almost was a movie star, but not quite. And he's really good when Uh, you give him a role like this. Well, he's he's never bad. Yeah. His thing is he's a stage guy. That's fair. He's one of those guys who he does a movie and he's amazing. And everyone's like, he's about to be amazing at this huge movie star. And then he goes off. And does a play or a musical instead because that's what he wants to do. Yeah. And you know what? That's his right. That's his business. Who cares? I mean, he's doing just fine. But he he also has a career where he's done tons of different things. So that's great. That's typically what most actors want to be able to do. 
he does an amazing job in this movie of being the sort of mustache twirly villain mm-hmm. while being a completely straight laced company man doing mm-hmm. it. Yep. It's kind of awesome. He is everything that John Voight's character was kind of eye in the first movie. Because on the one hand, it's like, well, of course you're the bad guy. But at the same time, you don't expect it because he's helping, but you created the problem. Yeah. Well, and his motivation is so perfect in that this is a step to getting bigger people. Like, why wouldn't we work with this guy? In 18 hours, the rabbit's foot will be delivered to its Middle Eastern buyer and we'll have credible intel to prove it. U.S. Security Council will get a report by this time tomorrow. We're talking a military strike within a week. And when the sand settles, our country will do what it does best. Clean up. Infrastructure. Democracy wins. Yeah, and he's he's playing this twisted long game. And he's he looks at people like Ethan as, to me, you're like a gun is to you. You're just my device to get to the next job accomplished yeah except in a weird way he also cares about Ethan. well he doesn't want to lose his asset yeah Ethan doesn't want to lose his gun yeah there you go <laughs> that's the way it works I, it it it's... really is smart and subtle and just really good and fully believable it's oh not yeah out- i hate it when it gets like well this would never happen no this would totally happen no, because they're all spies. Of course they're going to try to fuck with each other. Of course. That's what they do. We don't have bad spies. It's just it's the job. Crudup's big twist, where he appears right after, quote, Julia gets shot, was rewritten the morning it was shot. No. That whole scene was fresh. Oh. He read those lines from cue cards. Ooh, okay. And that might be his best scene in the fucking movie. Yeah, he's, he's a great actor. He nailed it. He is an amazing actor. I adore him. It's very good. Next up, we have Michelle Monaghan as Julia. She's already appeared on the show in our action series in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Before this, she was in Unfaithful, Boston Public, The Bourne Supremacy, Constantine, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and North Country. After this... Gone Baby Gone, The Heartbreak Kid in 2007, Maid of Honor, Eagle Eye, Somewhere, Due Date, Source Code, Machine Gun Preacher, True Detective, The First Season, Better Living Through Chemistry, Pixels, Patriot's Day, The Path on Television, St. Judy, and Messiah on Television, and coming soon, she will be in The Craft, the new sequel. What do we think of Michelle Monaghan in this movie? Setting aside. No, I, I was just about to write, say my disclaimer. Like my issues are truly have to do with the Tom Cruise circus. Yeah, she's a, she's a great actress. Uh huh. Um, I she's fine. I do like her whole what? What? Well, like I I I love the scene where he's like where where he's has to electrocute himself. Oh, that God. scene is great. They released the flight. Why are you giving me a gun? There could be others. If you have to use it, stay low. You identify your enemy. Point shoot. Very simple. Point shoot. Step back. Good. I have a charge in my head. I'm going to die unless you kill me. What? Throw the switch on and off. Don't forget the off. I can't do that. You can bring me back. I'll come back. I can't. You have to. There's no time. Now, please. Hallelujah. Not, not only because Tom Cruise is great in that scene, but sh- her reaction, like, it is hard to play confused. Convincingly, yeah. Convincingly. And incapable 
especially when it comes to things that you have specifically been trained on. Like, you know, this actor has been trained specifically on how to handle this handgun in this scene. And now she has to pretend not to know what she's doing. And it's just, it's just so funny. And she does it very, very well. She did a lot of the same stuff in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It didn't work quite as well. That... Because of the bad writing? Yeah, that, that that movie's not good. But she proved she has the timing to do it. She's She is a good actress. Oh, yeah. And she is good in this movie. She's very doe-eyed at the beginning of the movie. Because she's in love. Yeah. I'm in love with the hot dude. And it it's a little off-putting because you're you're like, okay, could you just be a little more... Everybody at that party feels just so real and in the moment. And she just feels like, I'm in love with Ethan. And it's like, could you be a little more like, I love this guy. What a joker, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a little too. Isn't he the best? Although when he reads the lips, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Near the end of the movie is really where she gets to shine. Yeah. And where we're like, oh, Julia's a real person. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> which is nice. I mean, JJ typically writes women pretty well yeah that doesn't mean i mean like i haven't done a deep dive into his past work but he typically doesn't write them as just damsels he wrote two entire television series centered around women that were pretty good yeah oh that i definitely loved and that's not i would not have loved them if they were all these weak little girls yeah to be fair the premise of felicity is that she followed a boy to college okay but you know, girls do do that shit and, you know, she, she went on an adventure. <laughs> it's okay. You know, people do that shit. Who could have been better? Rachel McAdams turned this role down. She would have been awesome. She would have been good. It, it would have been different. And I would have just because of the circus, I would have preferred her in the role. But that's just because of the Tom Cruise circus. And it has nothing. It is not a bearing on Michelle Monaghan. Okay? I, will, I will say this, too. I think Rachel McAdams naturally seeing what she's done would fit more into that natural vibe we talked about. She wouldn't feel as doe-eyed as much as she would just be like, huh, I like you so much. And playing that obliviousness while also being like, yeah, he's kind of weird about that. <laughs> All right, next up we have Ving Rames as Luther. He's good. He's good. <laughs> he's, he's very fun. He's just good. Him being the one of like, you know this will not work out, right? Like, yeah, this is a bad idea. Like, this is just a bad idea. You need to calm down. Uh, so good. That's great. Jonathan Reese Myers playing Declan. He's, this is before he was the king of England. Just before, I might add. Uh-huh. He's okay. He gets to play the disguise kind of guy. When he's in his element doing the spy stuff, it works really well. When he's... He is an actor who has to be doing something. If he's not doing something, he sucks. Yeah, he is. He he. Can't... He's just a pretty face. He's oh, he's not that pretty. I remember thinking he was pretty. It's like, mm, nah, you're not. You're not that pretty. We have Maggie Q playing Jen. She's cool. She is cool. She had to learn to drive for the film. She had not driven before making this movie. Oh, that's fun. So while driving during filming, her heel got stuck on the accelerator <gasps> in the Lamborghini. She very, very lightly crashed into a parked car. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne playing Theodore Brassel. He's all right. I mean, it's it's Cowboy Curtis, but... He's the ball buster. He's, yeah. He's the, uh, I'm the paperwork guy. But it's Lawrence Fishburne, so it's still compelling. It's Cowboy Curtis. Simon Pegg playing Benji. 
Love him. He's my favorite addition to the franchise. Yes, and he is going to be a major part of this franchise going forward. Yes, he is. After Shaun of the Dead took off, he was asked whether he was going to pursue a career in Hollywood. His actual quote at the time, it's not like I'm going to be in Mission Impossible 3. (laughs) Precious. And who could have been better? Ricky Gervais was originally supposed to play this role. Oh, I could see that. But he's better. Oh, thank God it wasn't Ricky. I know. He, yeah, because Ricky's not an actor and Simon Pegg is. Yes. Simon Pegg is like, he's an amazing writer and also a good improver, but he's also an actor. Yeah. So like he can do what's on the page. I can also do other things if you would like to, or you will let me do it. I can do other things too. All of Ricky Gervais's success came from characters he wrote for himself. Which is no shade. No no shade. But it's got to be very specific. Like Simon Pegg came up with, and we've talked about them multiple times somehow, that whole Chris Morris crew. He ha- he was has a legendary performance on Brass Eye and did like all this sketch comedy. So mm-hmm. he was a performer and writer mm-hmm. and then just translated that into acting. Yeah. Uh, he's just very good. Mm-hmm. Carrie Russell as Lindsay Ferris. I love Carrie Russell. She's very good. She's not in this movie very long. Yeah, which is a shame, but I, I, she's one that I wish could have been in the franchise more, but that's okay. I was happy to see her because it's like, oh, JJ brought his friend. Well, who could have been better? Scarlett Johansson was cast early on in this role. Fair. And here's in this one instance for Scarlett, because kind of fuck her. She's kind of the worst. Not kind of. Fuck her. But... The interesting thing about this role is it is a younger agent. Uh-huh. So having her come in with that role would have been an interesting dichotomy of like father figure mentor type relationship. That was funny. Lindsay was like my sister. You ever sleep with your sister? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I totally forgot about and that. Then, what? What? Yeah. Yeah, no. But did you? <laughs> Someone's got to be asking these questions. Bless you, Luther. Also, who could have been better? Katie Holmes was considered for this role. Of course she was. Lindsay Lohan. Okay. Alicia Cuthbert and Jessica Alba. Okay. So all skewing younger. Sure. And so instead, I think JJ takes this movie on and goes, let me get Carrie. (laughs) I'm going to call my friends. Uh Uh-huh. She said, I need a job. Thank you. So it makes sense why she gets this kind of smaller role. Sure. They were just like, let me get my friend on this because she'll do an amazing job. And she trained for almost three months for that action sequence. She's great. No, she's great. And you know what? That Honestly, this movie has paid off really well for her. Because before this, she didn't get to do any action. She didn't do action. Oh, no. Not at all. But she definitely gets it after this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, go watch The Americans. She's amazing in it. And the fact that she never won is fucked up. That's some fucked up shit. But she got a, she got a new husband out of it. So that's pretty. Oh, it worked out okay. And then another player enters the game. So these are people who were in the development process, but didn't happen. We, of course, talked about Dandy Newton did not decide to return as Naya. She wanted to be with her family. Mm -hmm. So her role got rewritten as a character named Leah Quint, who was going to be played by Carrie Ann Moss. Oh, okay. Cruz had seen her in Suspect Zero, which Cruz is picking the weirdest movies to judge these people on. True. But he's like, recent work on Suspect Zero instead of, I don't know, The, the Matrix? Matrix? Memento? Um, <sighs> but uh, when JJ took over, the character got scrapped out of the script. So mm. she did not wind up being in the film. Okay. 
And J.J. Abrams approached Martin Landau to make a cameo appearance as he was an original cast member. Mm-hmm. Landau was a little more respectful about it, but he declined. He's like, I'm done with the franchise. I don't that's want to fair. be a part of it. That's fair. So, and that's the main cast. I had credits for all those people, but there's so many. There's just no. Uh, now we have Arpons. Fuck me. <laughs> Eddie Marsan playing Brownway. You've seen this guy. He's in Gangs of New York, The Illusion of Sherlock Holmes. He's always kind of a short, squatty British dude. Bahar Samek as Davian's translator. She was in Crash and Saw 3 and 4 as a main character. Carla Gallo playing Beth. She was in Superbad Neighbors and Get Him to the Greek. Bellamy Young playing Rachel. She is Melly Grant on Scandal. Greg Grunberg as Kevin. Yep. He got so many like big TV people for that party scene. Oh yeah, but that I mean, it's Greg Grunberg. He is in he's in literally every single thing that JJ does. This is classic. I got a job, you got a job. Yep. He calls him his lucky charm. That's who he is. If he is not physically on screen, his voice is on screen. Like it's just a thing. It's adorable. I love it. It makes my heart happy. Uh, Sasha Alexander playing the role of Melissa. This is Mayra Isles from Rizzoli and Isles. <laughs> Aaron Paul playing Rick. Hi, Jesse Pinkman. He's, he's so Jesse before he got on meth. And it, it's just the hair. <laughs> and I just look at him like, you're going to go on a journey, man. <laughs> it's going to be great. And then there's a bunch of crew cameos. Alex Kurtman and Roberto Orchi play party guests. Sure. Dan Mendel, the cinematographer, is a doctor talking to Julie at the hospital. Michael G. Kehoe of Craft Services plays Mike, <laughs> the hospital employee, who doesn't know where Julia is when Ethan shows up. That's awesome. And JJ has a bunch of cameos in this movie. <laughs> I, I know he it's not, I, I know he is occasionally in his movies. I think this might have just been out of necessity. It's fair. For him doing as much as he did. He can be seen in the hospital while Ethan is looking for Julia. He's the voice on the phone offering a free trip to Mexico. That's great. And he's also the hands removing the capsule from Agent Ferris's head at IMF headquarters. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, trivia. The poem Ethan forces Davian to read is a poem written by Neil Whitman. It's an actual poem, and it uses every possible phoneme in the English language. Yep. Read it. The pleasure of Busby's company is what I most enjoy. He put a tack on Miss Yancey's chair when she called him a horrible boy. At the end of the month, he's flinging two kittens across the window. I count on his schemes to reveal that. What the hell is this? Finish. Alpha, you're about to have a visit. Finish. Way to escape my gloom. Got it. So, hence it's used to replicate their voice. Of course. No, it makes total sense. It's a neat detail. I like that it's a real thing. Yeah. Like, I, you know, like, if you've watched any of these movies, like, you already know, like, what they're doing. It's like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm, I need them to say this so that I can, we can record their voice. Because now, again, they have added the voice matching. I mean, they did it in the last film, but now we've made it that much. We've seen how they do it. So good. And in this film, we see how they actually mold the fa- the masks. Very good stuff. Which is cool. So like we like the masks have just been this thing that becomes a big deal. And now we get to see it happen. Yep. While filming in Rome, they knew they weren't going to be able to just avoid crowds watching and ruining takes. That was going to be too difficult because Rome won't let you shut shit down. So instead, they hired some girls in bikinis and older women to play nuns, and they set up a fake second unit pretending to do work. And they distracted all the people 
while they went and filmed the sequences. They basically had no issues. The main unit didn't have any problems. That's genius. (laughs) They're just smart. That's very good. Paramount and Cruise's production company were sued for gross negligence after a pyrotechnic stunt went wrong and a technician was engulfed in flames, suffering third-degree burns on 60% of his body. Uh-oh, that's not good. No source on whether that was settled or if he won that suit, but that ain't great. Ethan Hunt mentions Lake Wanaka when verifying that Julia is still alive. Lake Wanaka is in the South Island of New Zealand, and Cruise visited it when he filmed The Last Samurai. He liked that lake so much, he got it written into the script. Because Tom Cruise. I don't get it. Michelle Monaghan and Carrie Russell share the exact same birthday, March 23rd, 1976. Aw, that's cute. Early in development, Cruz requested permission from the German government to be able to film in the 40-meter glass dome of the German parliament, the Reichstag. Hmm. The government declined because no. (laughs) Fair. I mean, (laughs) hey, he asked politely. That's, That's all you can do. Tom Cruise seems like the most polite big dick energy guy ever. You know, you never know unless you ask. And he has enough clout that he can feel comfortable just asking. He has no problem well, with that. But here's the thing. A lot of places could get a request. I'm like, this is so stupid. But they're like, we don't want to say no. Let's ask for the stupidest shit. And like, it's going to cost $500 million and you have to do this. Like, let's make it so absurd that they would never do it. Who knows? Maybe they'll do it. And then it's like, oh, shit. Maybe it's Tom Cruise. And then we get all... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, li- like you never know. And the credits state that the producers wish to thank the Hanso Foundation, a reference to Lost and Cloverfield. I knew about that one. <laughs> Hanzo. Of course he did. Yeah. And that is it for this movie. It's not a lot of trivia. Oh, there's a lot there. The development stuff was just... Development. ...was so shocking. Much. Because we've heard those horror stories before, and they've always been, eh, movies. And this one wound up so good. Yeah. I think what made this one different is that the first guy that was involved knew that he had to bow out before they started. Yeah. And that gave JJ the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then having that long delay for War of the Worlds made it even more. <laughs> so he was able to take what was there, rework it, and make it into something great. And that leaves us to rate this film. Mm-hmm. Of course, for every movie we have, a specific rating system for this movie, hmm. are we going to go with the exploding brain capsules? No. No? How many disposable cameras? Ooh, that was a fun bit. I was. I liked that. That was like, ooh, time capsule. I remember buying those. Very cute. Very cute. And also love it. Like, I just, that's one of my favorite things is that how they evolve, how they give messages and like, like in each film. They've done something slightly different, and it's just it's just great. I'll go first. Okay. Huh, this one's tricky. Because mm-hmm. I don't have complaints. I'm going to go four and a half. Wow. There's nothing I have specifically wrong to say about the movie. There, there are little things that might make it even more awesome uh-huh. or better or polished. But then again, what do I have to complain about? Like, okay. I think the only thing that bothers me is a little bit of Julia's character. I yeah. wish there was a little bit more depth to that. Sure. But otherwise, this is a fucking great movie. It's so funny because I'm I know I'm comparing it to our action series. Uh-huh. So I'm judging it against John Wick. Oh. Like so that's what's happening. But it's apples and oranges. Oh, Two sure. different movies. To- like different franchise, different different goal of the film. Yeah. But I'm tr- I'm just 
especially in a series, it's more of like, do I want to watch this movie again? How how much do I want to watch this movie again? Oh, I always want to watch this movie again. I want to watch this movie again, but I really only want to watch Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's the thing. Mm. I re- I enjoy all the other parts because they are leading towards Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's only in the movie for about 15 minutes. No, he gets longer than that. He's not in a lot. He is the majority of the movie for me, for my enjoyment. Hmm. That does not, it's not a slight on the movie, but it is, for me, it's a three and a half. It is a great movie, but it's it's a lot for the tiny bit that I love. Huh. The bit that I love is very tiny. Like, if it's on, if it's on, I'm happy. I will watch, I will sit down and watch it. We had it on. I enjoyed it being on. That's great. That's fine. But I think in, as we're going through these, I think I figured out which one is so far because i haven't seen five or six <laughs> i think i think i figured out that this one is not my favorite interesting it's interesting. one of my favorites but it's not my favorite mm. well we'll have to see as we go along and that means next time we get to see a movie that i have a very weird relationship to <laughs> it is mission impossible ghost, ghost protocol. protocol so until next time bye everybody Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.